0: Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. And this is your host, Michael Shafra.
1: This is Impact Hustlers, the podcast on the entrepreneurs that solve the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And I'm your host, Michael Schaffrat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode, most importantly, with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And follow us on Twitter as well, at Impact Hustlers. Enjoy today's episode, and let's go. On today's episode, I speak to Fabian
2: Borlin and Sebastian Hamelin, the co-founders of War on Cancer. War on Cancer is a storytelling platform helping those fighting with cancer tell their stories. Fabian was diagnosed with leukemia in 2015, and when he was admitted to hospital, he shared his story on Facebook. The post went viral at the time and got about... 30,000 shares just within the first 24 hours. The positive response to him sharing his story made him realize the power of storytelling and led him to create war on cancer together with his co-founder, Sebastian. It's great to have both of you on the show.
0: It's awesome to be here. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Um, Fabian, start with your story. Tell us a bit about how your life looked like before your diagnosis. I'm sure you remember the moment you were diagnosed and what changed for you.
0: Absolutely. And um, we're going to have to wind the clock back some four years. And it it really feels like looking at a different life for me. I mean, I was living in London at the time. I first got here following a business studies in Stockholm to work in investment banking. So I did some bonds trading at a bank down here in canary wharf about two years into that career i started feeling this growing emptiness within myself and i felt that okay i'm probably not going to be end up a very happy person if i stay around in finance so i made a decision to completely change careers into a new one in the film industry uh so i was working away in london uh, doing films, doing projects, and was on my way to move over to the States because I had landed a role in a U.S. feature film.
2: Well, how did that happen?
0: Uh, well, there was a lot of hustling, I <laughs> must <laughs> say, and a lot of networking. Well, no. I mean, ironically, I had more use, even though I took a one-year film acting course, I had more use of my business experience than I had of any creative talent because I quickly understood that – When you're coming out as an artist, your creative talent is less important than the sense of a brand for you because the roles that you pick up in the beginning are usually one-liners or two-liners in feature films and productions. And for that, you don't really need creative talent. Uh, What you need is to know the people that has the authority to make decisions with regards to hiring. So I focus more on networking than I did on perfecting any kind of Active, which ended up with me partying a lot in london <laughs> all right but i was on my way to move there but this was around a time when i started feeling really tired so around may 2015 initially i thought it was related to stress and a lot of hard work and london life in general as we all know which can be quite draining and I didn't do anything like going to the doctors or anything because I knew that I had a flight to Stockholm about a month later because I wanted to visit my parents over the summer. So on the day when I flew back to Stockholm, I woke up the same day with a massive pain in my chest area, which made it troublesome for me to breathe which got me scared. I flew to Stockholm and I met my parents, but I told them right away that uh, I think I'd need to go to the A&E, to the emergency, uh, to get scanned because I can't really breathe. I went there and got scanned. And about two days later, I was diagnosed with acute leukemia. I was given about 60 to 70% chance of surviving. But I was also told that I would have to undergo about 900 days of chemotherapy straight in order to survive. And for me, that realization that that was more traumatizing than the fact that I might actually die. I mean, for me, it felt like my life and everything that I had worked for was gone. And my career was gone, my dreams, my ambition. And it really made me so sad and frustrated. So initially I had a, a ton of questions, not so much around practicalities around the treatment, but more more sort of like, okay, what happens, what does life look like with cancer? So what do you do? Are you in hospital all the time or can you work? Actually, I think one of my first questions were, can I work, uh, which is, also goes to show that perhaps my priorities were misaligned back then. And I started, I started asking my the healthcare professionals around these questions and also around diet and exercise. That was the first time I got in touch with their inability to see the human behind the patient. So I was met with a really real unwillingness from doctors to talk to me about these type of questions and when they answered sometimes it felt like i wasn't being taken seriously so i was told for instance eat whatever makes you happy to get an answer like that when you're in that situation felt belittling i felt like okay well i mean why am i being treated like this so i quickly understood that i'm not going to be able to get my answers around these questions from healthcare i need to go elsewhere so, I posted a message on Facebook to let friends and family know about the situation, but I also asked for help if people could help me find someone in a similar situation uh, that could provide me with the answers now, as you so neatly introduced as well the the post was shared thirteen thousand times over the course of twenty four hours, and really, what followed was for me a life changing experience. You mentioned that you think everybody remembers the diagnosis yes i do that but i more so remember what happened after the post was shared because literally thousands and thousands of people from all over the world sent their love back to me i got so much support they started pouring in personal stories, not just from strangers, but interestingly, also from close friends who opened up about their experiences. And I found it interesting. One of my closer friends opened up about his experience with his sister going through cancer. And I found myself thinking, why have we never spoken about this before? We're close friends. But what I mostly noticed was gratefulness. So almost every message started with saying, thank you for sharing. This is really helping me. I'm going through what you're going through. And that led me to experience something, I believe for the first time in my life, which was altruistic happiness. Happiness that comes from knowing that you're helping others. So in this weird situation, when I was there at the hospital, I was feeling this massive wave of happiness going through myself. And that made me decide that, okay, I'm going to share my entire journey with the world through cancer in a blog. And I named the blog Fabian Boland's War on Cancer. So really, that's how it started. And, and the blog really became my savior from a mental health point of view. And it made me understand the power and potential of storytelling why well firstly storytelling and sharing my story was a w- way for me to in real time process a lot of the uh, emotional trauma that i was feeling and going through i mean i'm not going to walk you through in detail what it's like to go through cancer but it's safe to say that i think most people can understand that it's quite a chaotic um very intense process but in the blog i could talk about it openly it became an outlet for me where i could share truthfully what i felt secondly sharing helped me to normalize the situation around me in my close surroundings so that my friends family and everybody who else who read the blog they got a much more casual understanding of cancer so when i met them on the street or when they called me up instead of them saying which is the usual way that most patients are approached which is hi how are you oh my god uh, which is something that is bothering a lot of patients because it feels they feel belittled and very pitied. They were more like, "Okay, I read that the last session went good with chemo. Tests were good. Do you want to go for a beer?" And that distinction for me was hugely important because it made me understand that, "Okay, wow, I'm still a person. I'm a human being. I'm not a victim."
2: You created a safe space both for you to share, but also for people to actually to talk about this, like you know, it's part of your life, not like, oh, you have cancer. Okay, let's switch
1: topics. And, yeah, you know, do something else.
0: Totally. And I mean, this is perhaps you want to come in here,
3: Sebastian, because yeah, I mean,
1: you were absolutely
3: I remember the day when Fabian was diagnosed. We were actually before that happened, we shared a flat here in London, so I worked here as well. And I remember thinking to myself, my best friend is going to die. And that had obviously a huge impact on myself. So What happened after is that me and Fabian spoke on the phone pretty much every day. I was one of the persons calling every day, pretty much asking, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And regardless of the answers, I still asked like, but how are you really feeling? Because that's what I associated cancer with. It can't be good in any way. And only when, when starting to read Fabian's blog, which I didn't do for the first two months... I realized just what Fabian explained, that the only thing that he actually needed was to be treated as Fabian, as the person Fabian, and not as the victim, not as the patient. Around that time, you also... You sort of invited me <laughs> back home to Sweden. So basically, Fabian called me up one day and said, I have an idea. You need to come to Sweden. And that was the, the reason, if you would ask Fabian why I went. The reason why I truly went was that I thought that this was probably going to be the last time that I saw Fabian alive, because he basically looked like skin and bones. But I went there. We met at a, at a local coffee shop, and we talked about cancer. Why it happens to people, obviously we didn 't have an answer to that, but we also talked about what kind of impact it had on himself, his parents, his friends, including me, and we realized that basically that Fabian was onto something with him sharing his story, and on that very day, we decided to start war on cancer and what we decided to do was to share our experience, our combined experience, so that more people could experience Basically, uh, the positive side effects or the positive effects of sharing your story, uh, but also so that close ones such as me could be better support. And that was the initial start.
2: Tell us a bit more about what it did with you um, seeing the Facebook post and kind of uh, seeing Fabian yeah, opening up and kind of openly sharing. What did you think when you saw it? Was that something like you felt more at ease than talking about it or how did you perceive it?
3: I mean, at first I didn't want to read it because I thought I knew what was going to be in there. I thought it was going to be a lot of hardships, uh, but explained in text, right? So that's the reason why I didn't read it. But truthfully, just reading it, Fabian opened up about pretty much everything. His mental state, his physical state, all the thoughts that he had going through this, which they were quite many. And so, I mean, by reading this, by reading someone else's story, I think you get to know them a lot better. And Fabian was still Fabian. So basically, I got to know one of my best friends better and understand what he was going through. And I think that's something that everybody should do. Yeah, and,
0: and it's important to say so the, the coming back to the third reason why storytelling was so good, and it's coming down to the notion of helping others. This is what I think is by far had the most positive impact on my mental well-being. So this blog grew to have... At its peak, around 200,000 monthly readers. And I can genuinely say that I've never in my life felt happier than when I was writing. At most frequently. Because after each post, I received hundreds of messages back from people who opened up and thanked me. So it led me to have a bigger and stronger sense of purpose and meaning than I've ever felt before in my life. And it also led me to develop a form of gratefulness towards being diagnosed. And this was just a couple of months in, I started feeling like, wow, it's good that I was diagnosed because this was the reason why I was diagnosed. I was supposed to be do, be diagnosed because I was supposed to be helping others. And then this vision started forming, and this was when I – Uh, Which Sebastian talked about when I asked him to fly back to Stockholm to talk about this vision. I said, what if we can make other people feel and experience what I'm feeling? What if we can create a product that replicates many of the feelings that I'm feeling around altruistic happiness and this feeling of purpose through cancer? And that then together with Sebastian, we conceptualized the idea of War on Cancer, a storytelling platform.
2: Amazing. Let's talk a bit about that, your company and the platform, War on Cancer. Um, You initially shared, as you said, you shared your story on Facebook initially. So what got you to believe at some point to the point to say, actually, there needs to be a separate social network for this? What's the value of that? Why didn't you create something that encourages people, like a campaign, for example, encourages people to share it on Instagram, Facebook, the existing networks, what was the point where you realized, okay, there's actually a value of having something separate?
0: Definitely. Firstly, cancer is one of the world's largest illnesses. (laughs) Cancer changes people from the ground. And cancer for many people is an illness that you're going to be having both mental and physical challenges with for a long period of time for some it's forever with that in in mind we said well and also with the rise of niche communities in general you have your fish brains you have your different type of communities which are more specialized and built based around the special needs or specific needs for those type of people, we instantly realize that this is something that we should be building for cancer. With regards to valid propositions, then what Warren Cancer actually is or has evolved into today, the Warren Cancer app is a storytelling platform for patients, survivors, and loved ones, where members can share stories and know that by doing so, they're helping others. Where members will be able to donate health data through consensual data sharing, but what makes born cancer more unique in this space is that they will also be able to track their impacts'm I'm going to talk more about that in a bit uh, thirdly, where you have the ability to to engage and establish authentic connections so with your big social networks today i mean instagram facebook Twitter. They are great from a technical point of view. That's probably one of the best apps out there. Obviously they have, what, 5,000 developers. However, there is a lack of authenticity. Because the only combining factor, for instance, Facebook right now, is the fact that everybody has a smartphone. That's how far it goes. So the focus is too general. And the focus on, for instance, Instagram is to highlight a better version of yourself. And the focus on Facebook has gradually become kind of ranting or hatred for many or just posting weird pictures of cats. The way I feel, there's no real connections there. And what you need as a cancer patient or as a loved one is to have people that understand you need empathy so what you get is sympathy people pitying what what you need is empathy where people can say been there done that i understand and that's what we're facilitating with a niche storytelling platform. And lastly, which is also I think what's one of the most important things is that the platform becomes a reminder that you're not alone. If there's something we have learned in every interview is this feeling of isolation. You get isolated from the moment you are diagnosed, not because your friends want to isolate you, but because most of your friends are not that well read up or like informed about how to really approach a patient. So you, you end up in a situation where you have nobody to talk to. That's why we have the platform.
2: Mm. Let's talk about some of the stories your users are sharing. I think, again, like the ignorant self maybe of me as well before I heard your story would think, oh, if you create a social network around cancer, it has to be negative. Like that yeah. must be really miserable to read oh, yeah. all these posts, right? But when I actually look through the app, you know, it very empowering kind of uplifting uh, environment where people kind of, you know, it's not all happy because, you know, it is around cancer, but... You know, people uplift each other, it seems. Tell us more about that, the type of stories your users are sharing and what it makes with does with them.
0: Yeah, and, and we have also noticed, and this is something we weren't expecting it, but I think we were kind of hoping for it because we wanted to provide a safe place where patients can actually talk about life. And I mean, you're obviously, as most of us are, and even I was, or obviously I was as well before, you've been touched by cancer fear or cancer phobia. There's this this idea that cancer is equivalent to imminent death or inevitable death at some point, and that's most people that get diagnosed are not going to survive. So, I mean, this is largely due to, well, firstly, that traditionally uh, cancer used to be a death sentence. I mean, 20 years ago, had I gotten leukemia, I would not have like, been here today. Thanks to research, I am here today. But the other reason why there's such a big fear around cancer is, we believe, kind of directly related to the way that cancer is being marketed today. Most organizations dealing with cancer or working to try and help around cancer. As we all know, charity organizations or NGOs, and they are great. Uh, They have great causes. They are great people. They do a really important job. Um, However, there might be a problem that in many countries, there are quite many of them. For instance, in the UK, there are 5,000 charity organizations for cancer. And what that creates is a sense of competition because at the end of the day, you need donations from people because otherwise you're not going to survive. You're going to go bankrupt. So that's we believe that that's led to a natural shift to try and promote aspects of cancer which are less positive uh, because people are more keen on donating if they feel that something is emotionally horrible uh, for them to look at. That is just the way that most humans work. So most of the things you see around cancer is focusing on the one there that does not survive, whilst we know because we are in this community that I mean, two out of three survive cancer, and most of those people uh, come out of it actually happier, because cancer has taught them a lot of things. They are growing closer to themselves, they are more present. And uh, cancer provides you with a lot of life lessons. And for people going through cancer, they, are not, they don't want to be their cancer. What they want, what they understand, or what they feel is, I'm a person. Who currently is undergoing a treatment for cancer? So that's why they don't want to talk so much about specifics about chemo or these type of things. They want to talk about their lives, their ambition, their vision, their goals, their careers. And again, this is the power of a niche social platform.
2: When both of you started out, did you initially conceptualize everything as a business, or did you just say, "Okay, we we just want to." kind of uh, give people a space and figure out the rest later and then with that let's talk about also business model behind this and how you actually evolved this into a business
3: yeah so i think i can answer that question and the reason why we started war on cancer is really the why behind it which fabian has so thoroughly explained here and i mean from the beginning we were called something that we don't like to be called today an initiative but we were essentially because we didn't have a business model i basically resigned from my job here in london to move back to sweden to start this company without having a single revenue stream basically so both me and fabian we actually lived with our parents for the first six seven months something like that but with the storytelling platform that we had created we were invited to a pretty big or one of Europe's biggest tech conferences um, medtech health conferences because we were speaking about patients as humans and that was believe it or not something new in the industry right so on one of those occasions, we were approached by one vice president at one of the big pharma companies. And essentially, he told us, or he asked us, Do you guys know what you're really building here? And we were naive, so we were like, yeah, we're building a storytelling platform for people affected by cancer. He said, yes, but as of currently, there are no digital platforms that, on a global level, unite or host a lot of cancer patients. And if you manage to do that, you're actually in a position to be able to provide the life science sector with critical data for us to better understand cancer and patient needs, which will essentially result in in value for patients, for future generations of, of cancer patients. And we basically had to Google what is patient data, what is patient reported data. And at that point in time, I think our initiative changed into a company. And with that, I mean, just to sort of shortly explain how we foresee sustainable revenues for war on cancer. So essentially, one of the biggest problems for the life science sector is to collect data from patients. And just looking back in time, the approach has often been that you take data from patients, right? You take data from patients without them really knowing. Uh, But what we understood pretty quickly is basically from a Swedish research report stating that 95% of all patients are willing to share their data, they're even eager to share their data as long as they understand the purpose of them doing so. So that's what Fabian talked about earlier, track your impact. Basically we have an in-app feature which will allow our members to track who uses their data and for what purpose and what we're trying to resemble here is basically when you donate blood in sweden uh, when you did that 20 years ago or 10 years ago you get a pat on the back saying thank you you've probably saved someone's life and people donated blood right what they do now is that you donate blood you get a pat on the back but when your blood is actually being used to save someone's life you get a text message saying you saved somebody's life in this area and this is the feeling that we want to resemble so it might sound strange but what we're actually about is trying to make cancer patients feel like superstars because every cancer patient's individual data could basically hold the key to better understanding the disease and better understanding how the treatment uh, should go for patients
2: amazing well and then are you partnering with pharma companies on that? Or what's kind of the model there? Who's looking at the data to analyze at the yeah. research institutions?
3: Yeah, so from the beginning, we, we realized that we, we are not from the research world, right? We both worked in finance in London. And we understood to, to really build this into the vision that we had or still have, we need to co-create this with the industry, with the leading experts. So we approached straight away the biggest pharmaceutical companies, universities, hospitals, etc. And everybody was excited because, I mean, we still spoke about cancer patients in a different light. And we spoke about involving patients in conscious data sharing, which for some reason nobody else does right now. And they bought into the idea. And so we're working with the leading experts in that field. And we have quite a few partners. It's unnecessary to disclose them now Mm. because at this stage in time, we're really creating the blueprint for how to collect data Uh, with patients knowing that we're doing it we're creating the ethical framework around this because there's a lot of we don't want to be the new social platform that gets caught up in a scandal right we want to be 100 percent transparent about everything we do because we think sharing your data on our platform will actually be a value proposition for the patients and it will link back to increasing and boosting their mental health
2: Amazing. Let's talk a bit about the entrepreneurial journey beyond this. What's been some of the hardest things in making this happen from idea to company to having an app on the app stores? What's kind of the biggest learning or one of the hardest things you had to overcome in that entrepreneurial journey?
0: I think many people listening to this who are founders can relate to that building a company from scratch, from nothing, bringing it out to uh, some level of belief that this is actually going to work to actually employing people to finding as to raising capital. I mean, there's so many challenges that one could talk about. And I think every founder should give themselves a pat on the back if they have brought their companies to a level where it's not just a vision or a dream, but it's something that uh, has gotten traction from other people to believe in it. From our point of view, I would say some of the hardest things is I mean we are very disruptive in our uh, field for different reasons firstly we're coming into a field which is cancer and mental health which is traditionally only I mean it's very much been a domain where charities do work I mean this is their job it's traditionally been their job patient organizations uh, different other uh, cancer charitable organizations support groups they have done a great job and they are doing a great Job. So we're coming in here with a digital platform in the space, also jacking in the digital platform together with the whole life science ecosystem. So I think whenever you're doing something new, there is always going to be questions that people that ask. So why, so, why? what are you all about? Why are you coming at it from a different angle? So, for us, it's been really important to really defend that that we believe that build, building this as an impact business and not as a charity is the way forward. Because we don't want to rely on donations. We want to find a way to sustainably finance the development of the product. Because. What it comes down to is, I mean, we get asked this question over and over again through building this. It's like, why hasn't anyone done this already? Like, why hasn't anyone just come out and build like a nice social network for cancer patients? And it might seem like a natural question to ask, but there's some logical answers to it. Firstly, it's impossible to build unless you have patient experience, because otherwise you're never going to gain trust. But the other thing relates to the problems or not the problems but how difficult it is to actually bring out a product that can compete with a modern social networks of today i mean most there there are attempts at building this in every country probably five or six of them in every country but most of them are coming out of charity organizations who outsource tech development so what they usually do is they take some of their donations money and they go to an outsourcing tech house and say we want to have like a social network cool they come back like the tech house come back and say well it's going cost you about two hundred grand. Okay, nice. And then they start developing. And about one year later, one and a half years later, you get a product which is already a graveyard because at the same time Instagram has released ten thousand new releases. And nothing looks the same as it did one and a half years ago. So that's why you need to be tech at heart, which why is why you need to find this sustainable revenue source. Other challenges I would say
3: is just general challenges. I mean building a company from scratch is hard. Otherwise, someone else would have done it before you, right? And I mean, I remember, I think we were pretty starstruck by the first sort of investors, sweat equity people that came into the company. And just to be very honest here, we thought that, well, we have a good idea. And with these people coming in with their experiences, this should really like, it's going to work. So initially, I remember one meeting in particular, where Basically, we had we had a meeting with advisors, investors, etc. And we were pretty much asking, like, so, so, like, what's happening, pretty much? We were expecting them to sort out our problems at the current time. And I remember the, the initial feedback from one person basically saying, we said from the beginning that whatever you do, we can make it 10 times bigger. But what is 10 times zero? And it just goes to show sort of like you should really go into if you're building your own company you should really understand your why and if you understand your why you realize that you need to work really really hard to make it happen and the people you bring in they will exponentially make everything that you do bigger but you need to really pull your weight throughout and that i don't think ever stops
2: my last question to you would be, if you think about the next 10 years, uh, we talked about your journey just now, how does the world look like in 10 years, if you succeed with one cancer with the platform?
3: In 10 years, it's a long time, but we the past four years have passed by <laughs> like, a, like lightning, right? So in 10 years, I hope and I do believe that we are by far the biggest value contributor to the patient community worldwide both in terms of mental health, but also in terms of the actual data that we generate for the life science sector so that healthcare systems basically know how to treat patients so that the actual disease has minimum impact on their lives in a negative way. What I also hope and believe is that if we create War on Cancer according to the vision that we have today, there's no reason why that blueprint shouldn't be used for other Illnesses such as diabetes, for example, but it could also be on dementia, Alzheimer's, which basically is a bigger disease with uh, almost fifty million people going through that disease today. So that's the future I see for for our company, at least.
0: Yeah, I think you uh, you summed it up pretty well. I mean, we're hoping to keep building and keep improving the platform. I mean, it's it's an endless task to make sure that you have a perfect uh, product. And we want to make sure that we really understand even further what these patients need. How can our products be a tool that helps throughout the entire journey of going through cancer and also for a large part of your life after cancer? I mean, how can we provide so much value to users that at the end of the day can help really normalize cancer and get rid of the stigma and make patients and people affected be seen and treated as humans once more
3: one last comment as well i think one of our biggest sort of goals as well is to remove the distinction between profit and impact to really be a showcase that you can build a company on 100 percent just doing good for people there shouldn't be any sort of I mean, we have decided to not have, for example, advertisement on the platform because we don't think that will play a valuable role in a patient's life, right? So I think if we can go to show that you can, you can really build a sustainable business on just doing good, that will have ripple effects across the space and other spaces as well.
2: Amazing. I wish you all the best on this journey of creating this business and this platform and encourage everybody to have a look at the platform. War on Cancer, I think on major app stores, uh, Google and Apple out there. And thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the episode with a friend. To keep updated on new episodes, visit impacthustlers.com and sign up for our email alerts. And also follow us on Twitter at impacthustlers. Thanks very much for tuning in and see you next week. This was Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs
0: and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit FastForward2030.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and RealChangers.com to find talent and careers with impact.